tea with Toby. Tea with Toby. Tea with Toby. Tea with Toby. Toby. Tea with Toby. Toby. Tea with Toby. Welcome to season five of our Tea with Toby podcast. This season, our focus is all about elevating social care, and we touch on a number of key and topical subjects vital to growing care organisations. On this episode, we have a two-part special, and we're joined by Joanne Barmer, CEO of Oakland Care, and Jonathan Hell, partner and head of ESG consulting at Knight Frank. And this episode is all around elevating the E in ESG. And we'll be discussing the tangible ways Oakland Care have decreased their environmental impact and how it's achievable for other care providers. As well as Knight Frank's findings on how focusing on ESG may actually increase the value of your home. So firstly, let's hear from Joanne. So Joanne, great to have you on the show. If you can start with a helicopter introduction to who you are and what you do, that would be awesome. Yeah, thanks Toby. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, so I'm Joanne. I'm Chief Executive Officer of Oakland Care. We are a residential social care provider operated in the southeast. Um, we have uh, nine care homes at the moment with our 10th opening in the new year and a pipeline of sites that we're working to develop in the next two to three years. Fantastic. And Oakland Care have been doing some fantastic things when it comes to ESG. And congrats are in order. Yesterday you picked up the award for ESG champion for the second time running, I believe. Thank you very much. Awesome. So Joanne, you've been doing some fantastic things when it comes to ESG and um, Oakland Care for the second year running has picked up the award for ESG champion. Can you give us an overview of all the work that Oakland Care have been doing when it comes to sustainability? And also, can you share a little bit about your future targets on that side as well? Sure, yeah. It's been a real focus for us for over three years now, probably getting on to four years. When I first joined, admittedly, we didn't really do a lot um, to be sustainable at all. It wasn't a focus for us when we were hitting the, about to embark into the COVID pandemic. Um, but when we ran our employee engagement survey, it was very clear from team member feedback that they wanted us to do more, to be more sustainable. And I think that was because they were going home from work and they were doing things in their own lives, in their own houses, that when they came into work were not being transferred. So even things that's just simple recycling. And that really was the catalyst for us starting to do something. Uh, and we started by undertaking the Green Mart Level 1 um, accreditation, which in all intents and purposes was a benchmarking exercise for us. Uh, it gave us um, a very good understanding of all the different areas of um, ESG and where we were uh, at the present time, which then helped us to think about what are the things that we can do to be better, both small things and big things. Uh, and we really believe in Oakland, uh, and I, I always say frequently at, at, at events, that we cannot say as a care provider that we truly care for our people, and by people, I mean people that both live and work within our homes, if we also do not care for the environment in which they live. So for me, they go hand in hand. Um, and very recently, only last year, because our sustainability efforts had grown so much over the last three years, um, we actually added sustainable to our uh, company values. And that was something that our team members voted unanimously to do uh, because they felt it was an important part of what we do and how we do it, um, as opposed to just um, an add-on project that we're, we're working on. 
So we would do all sorts of things to be more sustainable. We've progressed through the Green Mark Accreditation Framework from one level one to two to three and became ambassadors for them. We dedicate a lot of um, funded labour hours to local community projects. Uh, and those projects could vary depending on what's appropriate and needed within the local environments that the people and the homes are situated in. So it could be tree planting events, it could be litter picks, it could be beach cleans, all sorts of different things. Um, and they involve both residents as well as team members. Um, it's, it's a real collective effort. We give around 1,500 hours um, funded through Oakland a year back into the local community. Um, we also do lots of things around waste management. So we've reduced our waste that goes to our hazardous waste by 50%. We have a zero waste to landfill policy. Um, we have improved our utility usages. We have in-room utility monitoring uh, trials at the moment, which we're hoping to expand. We became the first UK care group to be carbon neutral certified uh, three years ago, and we've maintained that carbon neutral status. Um, and this year, actually, for our efforts in sustainability, we were also awarded a Green World Award, and we were the first care company, whether it's in the UK or assisted living uh, and skilled nursing facilities globally, to be awarded a Green World Award for sustainability. So that was a real, um, a real good point for us. Yeah. That's brilliant. Done so much in such a short period of time. And where do you see it going? Where are they? We have a big focus now on setting very specific targets to get ourselves to net zero. Um, we're already building homes that are gasless, not connected to the mains gas at all. Yeah. Uh, they will use uh, a mix of both solar panels as well as ground and air source heat pumps. Um, we will be looking at options to expand that technology in our existing portfolio. We've got a couple of homes that we're looking at solar on now. We will be publishing our revised long-term strategy and sustainability, which will detail our targets for net zero and how we aim to get there. That will be published around the end of Q1 next year. Oh, look out for that. It'll be fantastic. Now, for provided us listen to this, they may hear all of that and say, oh, it sounds like a big investment. And with the economic climate now, some providers may feel, you know, is this a necessary cost? Are there any small sort of quick wins or low or no cost solutions that people can kind of start to get their foot on that ladder? Yeah, certainly I think it is um, an inhibitor to enabling change within the sector. There are a lot of cost pressures in the sector at the moment between labour costs, utility costs, food costs, etc. And sometimes it's not just about the cost, it's also quite overwhelming when people don't really know where to start. Mm. Um, I would say you know, there are things that we've done that have cost um, money. Uh, you know, we've invested in different technology, we have had BREAM accreditation on all of our sites, new and old now are all BREAM accredited. Um, and that undoubtedly has required significant CapEx investment. But the things that we do with our people are much lower cost. And the starting point I would say is team engagement because sustainability and improving your sustainability credentials cannot be achieved with a top-down uh, methodology. It has to come from your people. So I consider myself and, and the rest of the leadership team at Oakland to be enablers. You know, we're enablers and we're promoters. Yeah. So we make sure that they've got the support, that they've got the resource and where needed, they've got the funding to facilitate the change that's right for the environments in which they operate. 
and then we help to raise our profile by promoting that. If it was the case that we wrote um, a very prescriptive plan of all the different things that we expected our team members and our homes to do and follow, yeah. it wouldn't work mm. um, because you wouldn't get the buy-in. Whereas we have a green committee that now has more than 50 team members um, included in it, representatives from each home, in various departments, as well as the central head office function. And they are the innovators. They're the conduits and facilitators between you know, how we decide what we're going to do as a group and what the homes and the people that live and work in those homes want to do. They share a lot of ideas. They've got like a little communications channel. You'll see one thing pop up in one home and the next thing you know, next week it's in the other home. And so it helps to facilitate and inspire change. So I would say number one starting point is get your people together, get the people that are really interested in it and start to get some good news stories going that will help to inspire and motivate change within other teams and other departments. That's brilliant. And it sounds like there's a trend of it always starting within because I know how some organizations might set mm -hmm. a target, but when people are not bought in, it's very difficult to hit that. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, but we were both at an event, you know, a well-known care sector event in the audience. And there was a panel around ESG and the chair at the time asked the question, can anyone raise their hand who has actively learned about ESG? Only five people raised their hand and in the room there was probably about 50 people there. And two of those people was one of you and your colleague. A lot of people are not proactively putting um, you know, the work in to kind of find out. But what is out there? Where is the information? Is there, was there a course that you guys went on or did you bring a consultant in? We very much led it internally. We had yep. a lot of people that were very inspired and motivated to do things better. And so we haven't used consultants. We have done it within our internal resource. Um, but I think there was an increasing amount of knowledge out there. And there's also an additional motivation because, of course, sustainability now features in the well-led domain of the new CQC inspection framework. So I think that will help to some extent. Yeah. But again, it's a bit like the carrot and the stick. People won't do it because you tell them they need to do it. They have to do it because they want to do it. Um, and I think another example of the lack of knowledge in the sector is, as I mentioned earlier, Oakland Care has been carbon neutral for several years now. Yeah. And when we first became certified as carbon neutral, I had a real flurry of communications from people within the care sector saying, oh, we're really interested in how you've achieved carbon neutrality. And we really like to understand more about how you did it. And I my, my answer to them is, well, you just have to identify and measure your carbon footprint. And there are lots of tools out there on the internet and lots of um, resources out there that you can consult that will help you to do that. Yeah. You work out what your carbon emissions are and then you work with an agency that will, you will be able to pay them to offset your carbon emissions. Yeah. Um, and you can decide how that money is invested, whether that's in tree planting or various other projects worldwide and in the UK. Um, it's not rocket science for me. This is, this is a, a mark of commitment of us putting some money behind uh, offsetting our carbon emissions. And the fact that people ask me the question, oh, well, you're really interested in knowing how you got there, tells me that people don't understand what carbon neutrality yeah. is. It's a simple offsetting process. And for us, it is a, an absolute 
Um, it's a no-brainer. It's something we would never consider not doing, mm. but we absolutely don't see it as the be and end all to sustainability. It's a sticking plaster. It's something that I'd rather do than not do whilst we get to the net zero position. Um, you know, it isn't it isn't going to solve the world's climate climate crisis, but it's better to do that than do nothing. Um, so there is there is a lack of knowledge out there. But I think in terms of moving forward, very recently the um, the care sector has has formed a sustainability alliance, and we've got quite a lot of um, different care providers now interested in that, and that's definitely a point of contact to go to. Uh, the first business case for sustainability has just been published this week. Um, you can find that online, and that contains uh, a number of case studies from Oakland Care, actually, that reference some of the changes that we've made and some of the things that people can do to make a difference in their own companies. And we'll definitely link uh, the resources in the show notes below. Mm -hmm. um, it's one thing to actually put things into place. How about evidencing? When it comes to data and metrics, where does that play a part in mm -hmm. this all? It, it absolutely plays a part because especially when you're doing things that require capital investment, it's really important for us to be able to measure the impact that has. So a number of the things that we've invested in really are going to give us much better long-term return on investment. So for example, um, REAM accreditation that we've put onto all of our homes for an existing build costs us around 10 to 12,000 pounds. If we build a new build with the technology that it needs to become BRIAM accredited in construction, we're looking at adding an additional half a million to 750,000 on the build cost. Wow. And so it is significant investment mm. when interest rates are rising and build costs are going up. Um, but we see those investments as long-term investments. They are helping to protect the freehold of our portfolio because in years to come, we see those things as being required as opposed to desired. Um, there are other things that we do like around waste management that we immediately see a return on investment in. So for, I mentioned earlier that we reduced the amount of hazardous waste, clinical waste that was going um, for decontamination. We do that by essentially vacuum packing the waste. You can't stop people needing continence products and dressings for wounds, you know, and, and but you can actually do something about the amount of waste that's going out of the building. We vacuum pack it down. Therefore, we can fit more bags into the wheelie bin outside, which means that we need the wheelie bin emptying less frequently than we used to. So instead of paying waste disposal every week, we only pay for it every two weeks. And then there's a, a consequential impact on that because it means that the lorry that comes and collects the waste is doing one less journey a week. And so there are less emissions on the road and there's a knock-on impact with those types of product, projects. And I love that. And it's great to hear that that's such a practical solution that can be implemented. Also, it reminds me when I moved home, um, we moved to a larger place and our energy bill was crazy. But we found that by just changing the light bulb that we use and also making sure that we bleed the radiators, the energy costs. Yeah came straight right down. We're just trialing at the moment some really interesting technology in our oldest home, which is in-room utility monitoring. Mm. And this, we aim to be able to um, prevent unnecessary usage of utilities. So we're able to set thresholds of uh, where we think uh, utility usage should be by each room at certain times of the day. 
We also have sensors that enable us to identify if a room is too hot or too cold, which is particularly useful if you've got a resident that's non-verbal or isn't able to use a call bell. So if we get an alert through to the carer's handheld to say, you know, this lady's room is under the desired temperature, we can go and proactively see how that resident feels. They might not be verbally communicative, but we can get a sense of, is the room feeling cold? Does the resident feel cold? Do we need to add additional layers or additional blankets or turn the heating up? Similarly, in the summer, if we've got wind, um, temperatures that are too hot, we can go in and we can open windows and turn heating down. Uh, on a communal area, we can look at things like kitchens and laundries. So if we have certain step thresholds, clearly those areas are going to be very high usage during the daytime. But you would expect after seven o'clock in the evening, the utility usage in those rooms to be nothing or extremely negligible. Yeah. If we get an alert to say, actually, it's now 7.10 and this room is using the equivalent of a daytime level of utilities, we can go and investigate it. We can say, well, actually, the laundry assistant rushed off this evening, she was late finishing, and she forgot to switch the air conditioning and the lights off. And therefore, we can turn it off there and then and stop potentially 12 hours worth of usage of unnecessary utilities. So that will help to protect us from unnecessary bills in the future. And that's another great reason to invest in sustainability. And there's a clear ROI there as well. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the other stakeholders involved, uh, being the families. Um, do you think we're going to move to a world where sons and daughters will actually choose a care provider based on their sustainability credentials? We see it already, it's already there. We absolutely have people that come for show rounds in our homes that have been onto the website looked at all of our information, seen our sustainability section, they actively reference it or ask about it when they're on the show round. Um, so that tells us that there's already a desire and an interest there from, from relatives and, and residents themselves. And the, the residents, as they get involved in the volunteering projects um, and they have great fun. You know, it's giving things back to the local community that they've lived in all of their lives. Um, and so, yeah, we, we think it's, it's only going to grow in that regard. That's brilliant. And generally, younger people are more aware of um, environmental factors. If we talk about carers, you know, the other stakeholder involved, have you seen any benefit from a recruitment perspective? Yeah, most, most certainly. I mean, we are in a very fortunate position to be fully recruited. Um, we don't use routine agency throughout the portfolio. Um, we do see an active interest in team members when they're coming to interview and join our team in what we do on sustainability. Because sustainability is one of our, our values, we actively talk about it during the interview process. So it's part of our selection as well, because we need to make sure that we're hiring team members that want to be on the same journey as us. And actually, in our recent employee engagement survey, we asked a new question this year which was, how important is the work that Oakland Care does on the environment and sustainability to you as an individual? And 81% strongly agreed that it was extremely important to them. Uh, so that tells us that we're, we're on the right track. That's a huge percentage as well. So I've got a bonus question I'll ask all guests for this season. And that is, forgetting about the how, in an ideal world, if there was one thing you would implement in the care sector that will make a positive impact, what would it be? Um, it would be better funding for local authority funded residents. Tell us more. 
Well, I think, you know, there's been historically underinvestment uh, in what it, local authorities are able to fund for people needing social care. Um, and I think that means that people that are um, largely reliant on that stream of funding are extremely limited in the ability to invest in things like sustainability and um, additional add-ons that they may want to do on employee engagement um, because they simply don't have enough revenue coming in. We're very fortunate at Oakland um, not to be in a position where we are um, as reliant on that stream of, of, of revenue and funding. Um, but I do think it's very difficult for some providers that are where they're not getting appropriate fee rates for residents to deliver a good care of service, a good employee experience, and to look after the environment in which they operate. Awesome. Very well said. Well, Joanne Messer, thanks for joining us on the show. Very well. And uh, keep flying the flag for ESG and social care. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Toby. Great to be on today's podcast. Um, So my name is Jonathan Hale. Um, I work for a real estate agency called Knight Frank. Uh, Most of you will probably know it for selling houses, but we also do a lot of other work around property and sectors. And uh, my main role across both commercial and residential businesses is to work with our existing teams to find solutions on the topic of ESG. Um, so it's, it's commercial, it's, uh, it's revenue generating, but ultimately we're trying to integrate uh, what for some is a complex topic uh, into their everyday job and then where they need things doing, which I'm sure we'll come on to, we're, we're there to help them out. Awesome. Well, great to have you on the show. In team with Toby Fashion, we're going to dive straight in. Yeah. So when it comes to sustainability, there are a load of buzzwords like uh, net zero, carbon neutral, measuring your carbon footprint. I think a good starting point for the listeners would be, what does it all mean? Yeah. So in a, in a jargon-free way, can you just explain what those phrases mean? And also, what is ESG? Before we dive into the answer to that question... Did you know 73% of people expect organizations like yours to understand their unique needs and expectations? And a whopping 98% of professionals say that they benefited from automation as it allows them to save time and focus on more customers. 98%? That's almost everyone. Want to find out more about what your customers expect from your service? Download Salesforce's State of Service report to discover the trends in the market and keep your business in the know. The direct link can be found in the show notes below. Now back to the episode. Yeah, sure. So why don't we start off with um, ESG and we'll tackle it in, in reverse. So um, also referred to by many as a topic in, in terms of it being classed as sustainability. ESG was a sort of term that was brought about by the investor community. Um, in sort of the early 2000s to just make that topic more understandable for a market that needed something to measure. So financially measuring both environment, social and governance, which is what the acronym stands for, was something that they could work with. Whereas the term sustainability is so broad, deep and vast that it was um, only really within the context of the built environment um, further to the, the Brundtland definition of, you know, not interfering with uh, things now that might be a detriment to our future planet. It was all of that kind of future thinking idea. So for me, when I think of environment, I think very much around the impacts that we as individuals and therefore representing commercials and working with clients that they would have on the environment. 
Mm. It's also about looking at the impacts the environment now might have on us, particularly with the effects of climate change ramping up. Then in terms of uh, the S, which is huge, in my opinion, for the healthcare sector, it's very much around people, um, residents in care homes, but also people in terms of the supply chain around care homes themselves, um, making sure there are zero accidents, that people have got access to light, good air quality, and all of those amenities, which we'll come on to, uh, no doubt, throughout the podcast. And then in terms of the G, the governance, that is just like, who's in charge? Have we set things in place so that the likes of a uh, CQC audit um, is integrated with some sort of broader thinking uh, measurement points on this complex topic? And also for those that are in charge of um, developing sites, operating sites, refurbishing sites, um, what does that look like? Who's in charge? Who's, who's thinking about building stuff in from the earliest stage possible at design to ensure that when it comes to delivery two, three years later, that this has been thought about all over. So governance is very much around structure and management of people. Um, distilling that down into the points you mentioned about the buzzwords, I think if we look at the term that was first sort of brought about, um, which was the carbon footprint. So everybody sort of wanted to understand a bit more around energy efficiency because energy costs money and they wanted to make sure that they sort of had all of that in check. And they thought that if we, um, we can't really manage it unless we can measure it. So from energy and I think moving forwards from uh, the 1990s when the Kyoto Protocol was signed and we had uh, the Climate Change Act, etc. Carbon became something really important. People knew the damage uh, that we were doing to our planet even back then. And so fast forward to when I started my career um, in 2007, um, we were already looking at what an operational footprint meant and uh, an embodied footprint. And that is uh, the energy related to operating, uh, let's say a care home, yeah. uh, but also the carbon uh, related to building it and putting it there in the first place. So your footprint in very simple terms for an operational um, uh, you know, standpoint is energy consumption. So that's uh, split into scopes of emissions and scope one would be uh, directly burned on site. So being your fossil fuels mainly, so yeah. gas and gas boilers. Um, scope two would be your electricity because that's indirect and um, effectively uh, burnt like power stations or generated by solar uh, farms, wind power, and that's off site. So that's why it's indirect. And then scope three is the bit that I think a lot of the commercial world and people probably want to know a bit more about because when you link that back into what everybody um, joins at you know, the COP annually, this year it's in Dubai, yeah. they're talking about this race to get to 1.5 degrees. That is all linked to that target. So 85% of the problem is scope three emissions. And actually we're still getting to grips with measuring that sort of 10 to 15%, which is your scopes one and two, which is electricity, gas, and then sometimes businesses have leased transport. So that's that. And then in a very quick nutshell, um, net zero and carbon neutral. So one thing measuring your footprint, it's one thing understanding ESG, it's, it's another thing to then actually put out some targets that are going to commit you to what essentially the world are committed to. Um, if you sort of look at some stats on Google, you'll see that in terms of net zero, each country have got their own target date in the future. 
in 2019, um, the government back then committed the UK, for example, to getting to net zero by 2050. Uh, it was only last year that they were brought to the High Court and found to have no credible plan on how to actually deliver on that mm. uh, by um, a, a sort of uh, NGO or force for good in mind. Uh, um, the point here is is that to get to net zero, and what does it mean? It is um, it, it's about whatever emissions you're putting out, you're balancing by taking them back out, and it tends to mean that once you've measured your carbon footprint, have done everything that you can uh, to reduce it, you're then looking at buying some sort of carbon offset to help you close that gap at the end between getting to um, what you're burning. And we all benefit now, by the way, from a decarbonized grid, and that's due to get to sort of zero carbon by 2035. Uh, but we're still heavily reliant on gas um, as well, which is, if I was to think about net zero and decarbonization, it is getting rid of gas. It's about using electric fully. Um, and a much shorter definition for carbon neutral is actually for those people that want to do it now, and the easiest place you'll see this is for um, firms, when you take flights, you can maybe pay a bit more to get an offset and say you've been carbon neutral. Yeah. Effectively, you can buy your way to getting towards a, a net zero status by buying credits. And, and that's without really having taken any of the steps to reduce. You could effectively buy your way into saying you're carbon neutral, which, although many don't think is great mm. because you haven't really done much to address the root of the problem, it's still doing something. Um, but that's a debate for another time. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Podcast is done. <laughs> really an answer. Really appreciate that. And um, the level of detail, I think that really did clear up a lot. Now, care providers listening, there are a number of different standards that they may feel that they have to go through the motions to meet. Why is it important that ESG isn't seen as just a tape box exercise? I think... And this is me coming from the outside in. I'm not necessarily a, a healthcare specialist. And I know that it is a highly regulated market, and uh, particularly across England. And I know Scotland and Wales have their own sort of rating system to assess quality, and the CQC are, are in place for England. Um, you know, I, I don't know whether that is, is fully integrated in the right way to address this complex topic mm. um it also means uh different things for different people again going back to that point of whether you're a, re a resident or within the sort of business side of things which might be um uh, developing operating or servicing it as part of um supply chain um so uh, from, from my perspective um it, it there is you, you can use these sort of ratings these these quality care standards to to just trip feed to introduce some uh questions to allow uh different care providers and whatever they own to be benchmarked against one another on important topics you could argue though that before doing this it and i don't know which body would do it but i think as an industry it would make sense for there to be some sort of initiative to group those that are already doing it to share with others what that looks like and how they could push for better and therefore enable this to be a journey that everybody makes because it's easier in my opinion if you are developing new care homes to hit more of those higher standards you might be backed by um money 
capital, etc., that has um, linked you into uh, ensuring that your development hits lots of different targets. That's very different to uh, a care quality commission coming in and assessing you in terms of how good is your healthcare home for you know um, are your uh, are your you know are your staff fairly pay, uh, paid um, you know doing spot checks on the residents to see how they feel about the place and checking any incidents that may have occurred. So um, I think it needs to be a collaborative solution, and if there isn't a body already that exists, I think it's going to rely on businesses to drive that forward, yeah. uh, and it will help then set a, a benchmark that others can meet. That's amazing, and I think um, on this same episode we're going to have. We're going to hear from Joanne, who's going to tell us a little bit about the organisation, uh, the sort of co- uh, collective that she's putting together, which which sounds interesting. Um, we know why what ESG is now. We know why it's important. I would love to know from your perspective, looking into the future, what do you think the trends will be, and how is it going to impact care businesses moving forward? So working with our um, healthcare research team, I think if we sort of look purely here at the, the S um, and also looking at the available supply to meet demand, I think from the outset we have an issue. So I think it's very much around understanding all of the um, topics that we sort of discussed so far and then thinking about right if we, if we want to um, be aware of um, carbon emissions energy that we're using and if we need to refurbish or build new homes how can we ensure our impact is as minimal as possible you know looking at some of the key factors I think by is it 2029 or so that the market is going to be saturated in terms of supply and demand and then when you look at what those features are that talk to sort of like the health and well-being side of things, and it's very much a societal um, factor um, that, that's highly sought after within the care home environment. It, are things like um, having an ensuite. I know it's a it's a nice to have for us, that are fully able-bodied in a nice age range where we can do everything. But for those in need of care, that's something which is an indicator right now, and there is not enough supply in order to deliver that. You layer that up with other things like access to light, um, good air quality, um, access to green open spaces, all of those things that if we were to just imagine ourselves in um, a not so healthy state but still wanted to live a good life, yeah, it's those it's those things that come together um, that that are really important. So um, we definitely need to, I think, work more uh, collaboratively, and it'd be interesting to hear what Joanne says on this. But, you know, if there are more possibilities to, to refurb existing stock and if there are any, if there are any, is, is any support out there, I want to say support, it could come from private investors, but it could come from uh, lobbying with uh, government as well. Because this is a scenario where, you know, in some countries, the old, uh, the, um, you know, the, ch- the children, I guess, they would take in their elderly relatives and look after them. We're a combination of that sector, I feel, in the UK. And we still feel that those in need of serious health care provision are better off with professionals that can support. In a recent Night Frank report, it mentioned that if you increase your EPC rating from E to D, it would increase the value of your home by 3%. Now, in your opinion, what other benefits 
um, or cost savings can providers you know feel and, and benefit from if they take this journey seriously yeah um so that's a really good question um i'll try and tackle it in a few parts so the epc is a theoretical assessment and uh, therefore is a marker that the industry use to indicate whether or not a home is efficient but it is theoretical it's not based on any operational data and what i mean is it doesn't include any energy consumption or, or water consumption so i think the first things first would be in order to, uh, yes, say great. Uh, I'm glad to see that people are recognizing higher EPC homes and there's a premium with it. That's a good thing, I think, getting people to move in the right direction. But if we, you and I, as homeowners or, or um, owners of care homes and therefore residents that choose to buy into that environment, if they want something that is um, effectively going to um, ease the burden of costs, mm. uh, help the environment, then they really need to understand what they are using. Um, so basic meter, read your data, um, even submeter certain parts with smart metering or, or, or different things like that to find out whether there's certain parts of a home environment that are uh, more expensive, use more energy, and therefore emit more emissions. How can you address that? So you can do that. And then what you might find um, is that by having um, you know, with our eyes, you see all of the different sort of lighting types that are now there. I mean, most homes should be, if not fully switched to LED on their way to getting there. And, you know, you take a typical sort of 60 watt bulb, you're able to knock sort of, uh, you know, that down from 60 watts to six watts. So that's sort of, um, you know, 100% saving straight away. Um, so I think lighting is one of those things that is um, a hidden gem that, people may feel is not always in their ability to affect that change. Then we look at things like uh, windows, glazing, then the ability to shield um, uh, homes from the elements. So in terms of intense sun, mm. how can you ensure you've got proper shading? Uh, that might come from things like types of blinds or uh, external facades or um, greenery um, as well, which is, is great from a, a biodiversity and a nature uh, positivity perspective. So. There are all these different things you can do um, on energy. And then in terms of water, uh, it's about having things like efficient fittings, but also I would imagine in the care home setting, just uh, reminders for people. Um, so actually sometimes reminders may or may not work and you might just need um, sensor uh, fittings as well or, or that are built in with time lags so that a tap runs for so many seconds, goes off, yeah. that kind of thing. Because people might forget and leave it on. Have you got any more practical examples like that? So the time, uh, the, yeah. the the tap that runs out, if maybe if someone's in a particular communal area, is it being used and the lights go out? Yeah, well, I, you're right. I mean, I guess the things like the um, uh, passive infrared, so that's just sensor lighting. Yeah. yeah for example, you, you may, if you're operating a coma, uh, care home of a certain size, uh, just need to know that that isn't something that a, a human has to deal with any longer. We are fortunate in this day and age that you know systems and tech if we deploy it in the right way it's actually not that expensive and can support uh you know a, a well-managed effort to reduce impact save money uh, save energy etc so staying on the topic of finances are we starting to see any signs of sustainability affect a provider's ability to you know source funding at all. Do, do, are there any favorable benefits that they get? 
Um, there are. I mean, it, it depends in terms of uh, differing banks that are out there now. And I've had some discussions with some of them because, um, you know, that we start to have people within our own firm that want to sort of have a bit of advice to know how they could, um, you know, deal with a bank versus a a loan framework that they might have in place. And actually, if we were to work with that, what would that mean? Um, how much extra work? And also, what would the gain be? Mm. Um, probably to draw away from what the extra work would be, because the, the gains are worth working for. Um, so, yeah, we, we've seen some banks introduce frameworks that are aligned to some of the 17 United Nations Sustainability Development Goals that were released following the Paris Agreement in December 2015. Um, for those that don't know what that is, it's worth a quick Google. Um, but essentially, things like reduce pollution is is one of them. Um, or, you know, there's lots of sort of issues around societal factors. Um, climate action is, is another one. So uh, there are all these different things out there where banks are saying, well, let's hang our framework to something that is internationally recognized because we perhaps as a lender are, you know, that's what we could, uh, that's how we could manage a message into our global network. But then it has to mean something, right? So you start with all these different goals that all businesses are using, whether you're selling chocolate, making bricks or whatever, um, and then you put it into into action. So it's a case of if you're going to get access to this loan, over the loan term, you'll sign up to um, tracking your energy consumption and reducing it in line with a certain um, you know, downwards trajectory or you will ensure that all of the power that you provide will be from a uh, certified green tariff. And going back to your earlier question, that, that would also be another angle for introducing things like on-site or solar panels as well to support sort of, you know, a holistic uh, way of using energy that's locally sourced. And, and also loan providers like that stuff as well. I think the thing that hasn't yet crept in, which yeah. we've seen in other commercial sectors, has been forms of environmental certification. Yeah. So the building research establishment have their environmental assessment method for both design, construction, and in use. And I think that's something that could potentially uh, ramp up more in this sector. And and going back to that previous point, mm. if, if a provider was to go onto that particular, let's just call it tariff, yeah. will they get benefits like maybe interest rates being lower if they found that there were um, their carbon footprint footprint was lower or they they found to be more yeah yeah the the typical sort of discounts in yeah. terms of uh, how that market works and the interest rates and if people are familiar with the term BIPs it's it's like um it's a it's a minor interest rate adjustment if they're able to meet a proportion of those targets and also be subjected to uh, monitoring officers checking in with them over that time to make sure that they can get there. So yeah, I think for people who are, or for, or for developers and just for anyone listening, there are routes out there to getting green finance. And certainly for any lenders that are listening, I mean, I would genuinely appreciate more discussion on this topic because I think given what we're covering and also the role I have, it's, it's sometimes about um, guiding people on strategy, telling them what their footprint could be, then how they could reduce it, a um, little bit of education along the way. But actually, if you've got lenders 
who are mandating to developers or operators that you need to fulfill these terms. Part of that work is already done for you and it's it's more integrated as an approach. And it reminds me of the insurance industry. Yeah. So for example, if we take, I don't think it's Vitality, what they do for their life insurance is you sign up to Vitality and you you know get a, an Apple Watch or whatever it is and then they it, you do a certain number of steps a day your premiums when it comes to renewing go go down similar to um in in car insurance if you if you put a tracker on there and they see that actually you you, you don't speed and then your your insurance comes down so there's a there's a massive opportunity there and it seems like there's a bit more work to still be done i mean i i i mean I, i've probably spoken for way too long but i i I could go off topic on that one for a long time too, because I think I think the world of preventative care mm. is also like a bit of a precursor for um, you know in a perfect world where to go next. I'd honestly think these things have got to be here for the generation right now and for whatever's ahead within which which is a time frame where you can make change five, ten years, twenty five years. But actually, preventative care getting that right now, people like you and I might be less in need of this type of solution mm. when we hit 70 onwards you know if we're able to live well into our 80s because we've thought about all of the different health sides that we should be tracking thanks to the likes of commercial outfits like vitality and more through tech and mm. access to care which um whether it's nhs or private healthcare providers whatever people can get access to if that's all integrated and that's a that's an approach that solves uh, quite a lot. Well, there's a lot more work. Than yeah. Time. Or actually, I've got a question for you. It yeah. leads us on to this. We're asking all of our guests on this season, forgetting about the how, mm. in an ideal world, if there was one thing you would implement in the care sector to make a positive impact, what would it be? So, I had a chat about this with one of our providers, and I won't go around the houses for too long, but I do think in an ideal world, uh, the one that just crept into my mind in terms of preventative care, like mm. that is, that's absolutely one of them. Yeah. Like this journey has to start now. We have to start using the data we're getting to do something. But I think if I was to think about supply and demand, I just think there needs to be better provision and, um, and more available spaces, uh, which um, residents could have access to. And I would imagine they there is a majority that don't have access to what I, I can only imagine is so useful and allows privacy, increases confidence, doesn't allow mood to drop and, and supports mental well-being, which is things as simple as having full wet room provision within a room. I know that's a sort of pinpointed one, yeah. but from having had a chat to, to people uh, who work in this industry, things like that, and then building up in layers in terms of hierarchy of needs, having like communities that meet on site, like having wellness rooms, uh, cinema clubs, painting time. You know, I have, um, my, my wife's auntie is, um, is in that sort of later living environment at the moment. And there's so much of that stuff, which is great and that happens, but I think a lot of it happens on goodwill. And I think there could be more done in that scenario to ensure that that is something that people uh, get to look forward to. Um, and, and then I think there is more of a link, and this is probably why we're here, but I think there's more of a link to the role that commercial business can play in relation to um, supporting 
for the elderly who are so important and we're so thankful for having. So you take things like we do at the moment, like we get two charity days a year, which yeah. you can use and they're not holidays. You just get to do something with your team or with your whoever, actually, family. Um, if we could look at, at ways to uh, getting businesses to through sponsorship, uh, but also people's time to just go in to Cairns and talk with people. I mean, wow, that would that would be powerful. So, so yeah, they're my, they're my sort of um, ideal things for the future. Is I think we can address um, people's needs societally through commercial initiatives, but we shouldn't forget the role that we have to help them uh, acknowledge the impact they have and see how we can help them um, across a short, medium, and long term time frame. Very well said. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been awesome. I could talk to you forever. Yeah, no, right, quite so. We might have to do part two. But Another part two. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again. All right. Thank you. Cheers, Toby. Thanks for tuning in to Tea with Toby. If you found this episode useful, don't forget to share it with one of your colleagues from the sector. And if you have any questions, drop me an email at team at prosperworld.co.uk. If you're new to Tea with Toby, do check out previous episodes in the season. And also look out for future ones. Tea with Toby is produced by Specialist Care Sector Digital Marketing Agency. Prosper well. Caring for the brands that care for others. Tea with Toby. 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 Tea with Toby.